Welcome back. Before we get into the episode, just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast. And all that means is that we are way behind where I'm at in Patreon. So if you are loving this podcast and you need more John Constantine in your life, definitely go check us out at patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books and sign up for the Hellblazer tier where you'll get access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've recorded so far. And also you get access to the exclusive episodes of the Planes, Trains, and Comic Books main podcast. So if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 25. And just a little heads up before we get started, there definitely is violence in this issue, specifically towards children or babies, and also towards animals, specifically dogs. So if you have an issue with that, just be aware that that is going to be in this. And just a little catch up on what was going on last time, uh, Constantine has come onto the trail of a serial killer who is actually getting his victim's information from one of Constantine's friends, that were a guy that he thought was his friend at least, uh, that we learned about in issue 24. Now that's where we left off with issue 24, but uh, we're not touching on any of that today because I don't know why, but uh, the next three issues are actually guest writers. Uh, we have Grant Morrison writing the, the next two issues, so issue 25 and 26, and we have Neil Gaiman on uh, issue 27. So for all you Neil Gaiman fans who are patrons, I know you're out there, uh, that should be pretty cool. I actually remember that issue being pretty awesome. So I'm not sure. Sometimes this happens with you know a, a writer or an artist. They get backlogged and uh, they need some time to catch up, so they'll have some guest writers come into a series. And uh, we're not following the storyline of the family man at all right now. So just know that going into it. I don't know if this is supposed to be like in continuity as far as like the family man thing happened. Then Constantine went on this journey for the next three issues and then he's back with the family man. I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but we'll find out together. So first things first, with the cover of issue 25 here, we see there's some kind of parade happening or just people dressed up in costumes, but they, they have weapons. And uh, one of them has a very sharp knife. It looks like one of them's holding a head by the hair. And uh, they kind of look like, I don't know, they remind me of the masks from the little kids in The Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't remember what their names are, but the ones that sing about killing Santa Claus. And they're walking on the street, and we can see someone up in a window in like a two-story house looking down on them. And we see this issue, like I said, is written by Grant Morrison. And also the art is by someone new. This is a person named David Lloyd. Uh, I believe this is the guy who did the art in V for Vendetta. So if you know that style, it is very similar to that. I'd say this is even a little bit more loose than that. I don't know if the coloring makes a difference or something, but uh, it definitely feels a little bit more loose than, than what was in V for Vendetta. And we start off on the first page with Constantine. He's getting a lift from a random person who because he was hitchhiking. Uh, and so he's just talking to this guy. They're talking about how much uh, Maggie Thatcher sucks and how the economy is terrible. And then uh, John's like, oh, well, this is me. There's a town called Thursdike that he's going to. So John gets out and then begins to walk. I guess it's like a mile or something from where he dropped him off to Thursdike. And we see the name of this issue is called Early Warning. So as John is walking to the city, he finds a woman who is actually one of his friends. She seems to know a lot about him. I don't think we've heard of her before, but her name is Una. 
and she seems to know a lot about Constantine's past, specifically like what happened in Newcastle and whatnot. So, and I think also about uh, I think she mentions Raven Scar because that's uh, the mental hospital he was in after Newcastle. So um, she just seems to know stuff about him, and they're well acquainted already, but we've never met her. And she is talking to him, and, and it seems like they have a potentially a romantic relationship because he gets awfully close to her as they you know, say hi and whatnot. But she's taking pictures of some kind of factory that's on the hillside while she talks to him. And that's where we find out that she sent him a letter telling him about some kind of pagan festival that's happening in the town called Thursdike. And so that's why he came here in the first place, just because he got like a letter from her inviting him to this cool pagan festival that apparently hasn't happened for a while. I guess the town was super religious, but it seems like they're trying to get some tourists in the area and bring some business back to this dying town. So the first thing that Una and John do, as, as you would if you're John Constantine, you got to go get yourself a pack of cigarettes because you smoked them all already on the way to Thursdike. And so <laughs> he goes to like a corner shop and we see there's like people already starting to dress up like uh, kind of like Halloween or something. I'm not sure uh, what the pagan ritual is that they're kind of celebrating. Um, when I say pagan, I'm thinking it's just kind of like, like I said, Halloween or something like that where it's kind of just a tradition. It doesn't quite mean the same thing religiously as it had at one time. And they've just kind of, it's like a, it's now it's kind of like just a festival that the town used to celebrate. So uh, they're bringing it back and everybody's dressing up in like these demon costumes and witches and weird looking people. And uh, as Constantine is going to the counter to buy some smokes, he gets scared by some people who approach him with their masks. And then Una makes fun of him because he says he almost shat himself. And she's like, oh, your street cred is completely gone now, John Constantine. And then we cut to an old man walking down a, a pathway through some pastures with his two sheepdogs. And we get some ominous narration over these panels. So I'll just read them. It says, the soil vibrates. John Goss, walking home from the sheep, can feel it in the soles of his feet. Subtle tremors, like a bell stroke underground. And a note that cannot be heard rings up through the tree. The tree like a tuning fork and the birds rising in a feathered cloud. So basically as the old man's walking, he just sees all these crows fly up from this tree as he gets this weird feeling of vibration. And uh, that's supposed to be some kind of superstition uh, that you know, says disaster's coming if every crow leaves where they're at. And then we cut back to Constantine who's at a bar with Una. He's playing pool. And while he's talking to her, we get like a little bit of information that's going on in the background. So basically this town has opened their doors to a company that is making some kind of, I guess it's a power station. I'm not exactly sure because it just talks about there being radiation and whatnot. We're not sure what they're building, but there's some kind of like tunnels underground and uh, no one quite knows what's going on in the town. They've just heard stories of radiation and people dying and stuff. And because of that, there are a bunch of protesters in town this night as well, on top of the Pagan Festival happening. So there's uh, people that have come from other cities, and they're trying to tell people of Thursdike that like this is bad for their community, and uh, they're, they're arguing, basically, in this bar, because the people of Thursdike, they just need jobs. They're starving or they're poor and they're just trying to make enough money to survive and they're kind of looking at it as these kids from the city who are probably rich or whatever are going to come over here and pick it so that the place closes and then we lose our jobs and then they leave they don't care about us or our lives or anything so um like a fight starts to break out but before that happens the guy who is from the town uh who was about to like punch the city kid uh he gets a mask put on him by his friends and they're saying hey dude cool down 
down. It's fine. Tonight is not the night to start a fight. Apparently, this guy used to be a hothead. They don't give him a name, I don't think, in this. But he does end up calming down, and he, he just threatens the guy with his big, you know, monstrosity of a head that, you know, where he says, I'm going to break your bloody legs if you keep talking. And that's the end of that argument. But in the in the background, we see there's, like, a, a police officer who's off-duty drinking in the bar, and people are like, oh, aren't you going to do anything about that? And he's like, eh, I'm off-duty. But we find out that this policeman is named Arthur, and they talk about him having a baby and uh, how that baby is now seven months old and it's lovely and all that kind of stuff. And of course, this comes back later, which is why I'm mentioning it. So we also get two old ladies talking about um, like just the radiation and stuff going on. They say um, there's been lambs that were born with their skin flaking off them. And one of them says, uh, well, they never tell you what's, what they're up to, the scientists, the army, and God only knows what's going on right under our noses. Then we cut to those scientists and people from the army, and <laughs> they are driving into like a hillside where they have some kind of underground base or factory or whatever that they're building this machine in. And I will say it kind of reminded me of what just happened with Fear Machine, but it's not quite as weird and magical as that. But they do talk about it being almost a cult and it is them manipulating some kind of invisible energies. So a little similar, but it definitely has a different effect than the fear machine had. Then we cut back to John and Una who are now walking through the town after the bar and uh, they come upon a church and they just kind of go in to see the architecture, I guess, because Una is a photographer, so she wants to take a picture of some of that stuff. Also, we find out that Una has some kind of psychic ability where she's been taking some kind of medicine or tablets to kind of hinder that or push it back so she doesn't feel so much bad stuff, I guess, or bad energy. And it sounds like she can't control the intake of that bad energy like Mercury from the Fear Machine story arc. So while they're there, they run into the priest who is named Godfrey Bayless and he welcomes them to the church and also like John of course questions like oh what do you feel about this pagan thing going on tonight and Godfrey says obviously I can't entirely approve of a revived pagan celebration but anything that serves to unite our community can hardly be condemned. And then the priest continues by talking about how this town has sold its soul to the government and uh, like the war machine and that sometimes the church bells ring in sympathy with the vibrations underground. So something's going on with vibrations that people can feel, kind of. You know, maybe they have to be psychic or something. But the priest ends the conversation by saying that God has deserted us, Mr. Constantine. Then we cut to nighttime where people are now marching in a parade and they're all dressed up with their creepy costumes. And uh, Constantine just is asleep in his room. We see that it's 3.30 a.m. And I guess he's awoken by the stream of people marching in the parade outside of his window. It could be something else, though, you know, the vibration thing that we've been talking about. But the narration kind of explains, as he was asleep, it says, Deep in the earth, a door slams. The room rings like a wine glass. The electric clock has stopped. Outside, the noise gets louder. Tin drums, piccolos, bad dream music. And the lights are fever lights, like the ghosts of fireworks. Fireworks walking. The window pane shivers, the parade goes by, the whole room hums like a bell. And then we cut to the priest who is in the church, and he's in front of a stained glass window that's like where, I guess, where he would preach from or maybe where they take communion. And like I said, when we last saw him, he was kind of fed up with God. And so he's saying, Christ has come down from the cross, the haunted cross. We are forsaken. Father, a sign. Give me a sign. 
And as he says that, the window gets a very bright light coming through it, and it shatters and throws glass all at his body and face. And he just stands there and takes it, and he just starts saying, Oh, light, such a light, ghosts of glass, set free. And of course, he's got like a very crazy look on his face as he's literally shards of glass are just like sticking out of his face. And he continues by saying, the saints have left the glass and filled me with light. I am a bottle corked and filled with spirit light. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And as he says that last line, he opens the doors and he sees all these protesters, I guess, standing with signs outside of his church. And I guess they're there. They're not protesting the church, obviously, but they're there to protest what's been going on with the secret government facility outside the town. And then we cut back to John and something is going on in the town. As John gets dressed and goes to leave his room, we get some narration that says, how does it begin? It begins with the sound of breaking glass. Somewhere a child cries and cries and cries and stops abruptly. And when he says stops abruptly, we see some demonish looking fellows that are in those masks and they're breaking into a child's room and possibly murdering a child. And I'm not sure if we've seen these people before, but they cut to another scene as Constantine's about to get his coat on and walk out the door. And uh, it says, dad and Michael come in the night to sleeping Rachel Ackroyd. Solicitous dad takes her aside and teaches her the facts of life. And in that panel, we see that masked men, you know, with the creepy Halloween looking masks are breaking into a girl's bedroom. And I'm assuming it's her dad. And it says Michael. I don't know if Michael's his friend or the brother or something, but they, they rape the daughter is what it looks like. And then as Constantine begins to walk out the door, the narration continues. Mr. Bone, the butcher grunts and snuffles and wets his razors while pinned to a slab of marble dreaming of makeup and miniskirts billy begs for castration so we see the butcher who's wearing a pig mask sharpening his knives and it looks like a bunch of men that are also wearing masks are holding this kid down who doesn't look very scared he looks like happy or something as they're about to cut his dick off and as john reaches the entrance door of his hotel uh, we see the narration say, and someone counts to 10, and the parade goes by. Nursery rhymes, screams of ecstasy and of pain, broadcasts on inaudible frequencies, dissonant music, a great orchestral swell of noise. It is the music of transfiguration, and the devil, as always, has the best tunes. And then we cut to the scientists who are in the military facility underground, and uh, we see one of them saying, I did it. Somehow I just couldn't stop myself. I had to test the equipment. I bombarded the town with microwaves set to resonate with the 10 hertz frequency of the human brain. All those unconscious desires and fears and repressed longings set free. I've woken the sleeping giant. What have I done? And the shot of his face doesn't look like he regrets it. He definitely has uh, like an evil look, like an evil scientist. He's got the whited out glasses and it's like an upshot of his face in shadow. So so it's pretty creepy. He looks like, a, like an old Fleischer cartoon with Superman or something, like with an evil mad scientist. Uh, but he is watching a TV that shows the frequency, I'm thinking. It doesn't show what's going on in the town. So I don't think he knows exactly what's going on uh, in the town with the people. Then we cut to the house of that police officer from the bar who just had his baby. And uh, he's walking around the house with 
a baseball bat that's bloody and he is dressed like a big baby and he has a mask that looks like a baby and he's yelling i warned you i bloody warned you didn't i and now look what you made me do you silly cow and then we see his wife who is naked and beaten to death in the living room i'm assuming and he continues to yell saying you loved him more than me you did and now look where it's got you there's only room for one baby in this family just the one and then he talks in baby speech which is very very creepy and he says just the one ickle baby and as he says that very creepy line he is getting scissors out of a drawer and he's walking up to his baby's crib and he looks at the baby and says right right you smug little bastard say after me this little piggy went to the market and he takes the baby's finger and then we cut away i'm assuming he chops off his baby's fingers and maybe kills his baby then we cut to that old man who was walking on the path with his dogs when he saw the tree of crows fly up and it was a bad omen and we get a shot from outside of his house there's one window lit and the rest of his house is dark and he's saying good dog good lad now don't there's a good lad wasn't so bad now was it and then we cut to the inside of that room and we see that the farmer or the old man is wearing a goat head mask but it doesn't look like a mask anymore i mean these like when the guy had the baby mask on it didn't look like a mask it looked like maybe their faces were actually transformed into uh, whatever they were kind of dressed as. So uh, the the old man has a fork in his hand and he's talking to the dogs, I guess. And he's saying, mind it, stay there now. Keep the place safe while I'm away, all right? And then we see the dogs curled in a corner and they look very fucked up and messed up. And they're like uh, kind of huddled together and they're scratching their faces. And then we see that uh, he took the dog's eyes out with a fork and he, as he walks out of his house he says you keep an eye out for trouble and that is the end of this fucked up issue so so i apologize for the horribleness of this issue if you have children or dogs and you love them uh this one is definitely fucked up but you can thank grant morrison for that um yeah so if you guys have any comments questions or suggestions you can email me at planes trains and comic books all one word at gmail.com and we will see you on the next one